Hi, um, I'm Andrew, and I'll be doing the second Bible reading for tonight, which comes from uh, James chapter 5, verses 30. You can follow along in your pew Bibles on page 1,269 or in the screens above you. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of our God. Thanks, Andrew. Good evening, church. How are we doing tonight? That good, huh? Good to hear it. Good to hear it. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Bryce. Um, I'm a student minister here, as uh, John mentioned earlier, and I'm really glad you're here tonight uh, to join me in worshipping the living God. Uh, sadly, this is my second last service and my last time that I get to preach in this church. Which, but um, I'm heading over to Point Cook next year, Point Cook Presbyterian, and I would love for you guys uh, to come and visit me. That would be really great. But I have a question for you tonight, and the question is this. What do we need to get through life? Like, what is it that we need to make it through all the ups and all the downs that we go through? Now, after two years, I think I've got you guys figured out. You're all thinking coffee. Coffee. And why wouldn't you? It's the best, we have the best coffee in the whole world in this city. Coffee's great, it looks good, it smells good, it tastes good, gives you a boost, it even helps you to stay regular. What more could you want for four bucks? But some of you hear that and you're thinking, I hear your coffee and I raise it with chocolate. Chocolate, a woman's best friend, and it looks good, it smells good, uh, it gives you a boost, it's got antioxidants, whatever they are. It tastes amazing except if you're eating 90%, which is more like dirt. But you get the point. But some of you are more serious, and you're thinking more deeply about the question. And for you, you would say friendship. Friendship is the thing that you think would get you through life. I mean, after all, friends can make you laugh. They hear you out when you're down. Um, they can cheer you up. Friends are amazing. But for some of you, people are just hard work, and dogs are so much better, right? They never judge you. They're always loyal. They're good for cuddles. They're always happy to see you. They listen to you, pour out your soul. Dogs are excellent. But maybe for others, it's your spouse. I mean, a spouse can know you better than anyone else on this earth, and yet they still choose to love you. If the whole world lets you down, your spouse is still there for you. You see, we all, we all have things we think can get us through life. I knew a woman who a few years ago found out she had cancer. In the space of a few days, 
Her whole life went like that. Imagine just for a moment that that was you. Like who would you, or what would you turn to in that moment that you found out you were that unwell? Would it be your spouse? She had no spouse. Would it be your parents? Her her aging mother basically went into denial that she was sick. Would it be your adult children? Her son lives hours away. Would it be your siblings? Her brother just cut her off and stopped speaking to her. What would you or who would you turn to if things got that bad for you? The book of James is written to a bunch of people, a bunch of Christians, who were dispersed throughout lots of towns and cities. They were second-class citizens, and they were not happy. They were angry. They were envious. They were jealous. They were doing it tough. And in some cases, they were sick. And James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this letter to teach them what they need to get through this life. And he saved it for the final section of the final chapter of this book. And James says to them, and he says to us, that we actually just need two things in this life. Two things. We need God and we need the church. We need God. And we need God in the good times and the bad. Have a look at the text in verse 15 and see what James, how he shows this in the verse. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Uh, Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Pray to God and praise God. Do you notice what he's not saying? When we're in trouble, he's not saying get a coffee and eat chocolate. He's not saying uh, go straight to friends and family. During times of trouble, we go to God and we pray. In other words, we go to him first. But when the times are good, it's the same thing. We, we go to him and we praise. Do you notice that we don't get proud when times are good? Uh, we don't spend more money? No, it's we praise God for his kindness. You, you see, in going to God first, we're acknowledging that he's in control and we're not. We're, we're saying in, in, with our actions, God's in control of the world. And that's really what James wants us to walk away with tonight. We need God because he's in control and we're not. We need God in the good times and the bad, but we need him too when we're physically sick. Have a look at verse 14 with me. It says this, If is anyone among you sick, let them call the what? The elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of of the Lord. James says, if we're really unwell, go to the leaders of the church for prayer. And what do they do? Pray over us and anoint us with oil. What's that all about? Anointing can mean one of two things in the Bible. Most of the time it's talking about anointing a leader, setting them apart to be a prophet, a priest, a king, that kind of thing. But but in the New Testament, there are people that are anointed with oil and prayed over when they're sick. And it's kind of like baptism, right? In in baptism, someone gets dunked with water, fully immersed or sprinkled, whichever. And it's an outward symbol of an inward reality, right? That's what's happening here. But do you notice the healing 
didn't happen because of some oil, right? There was nothing miraculous about the oil. Have a look at what does the healing there in verse 15. It says this, the prayer of faith. Now, this is controversial. Like, this is the kind of thing that puts people off Jesus and Christianity. It's the sort of thing that can make or break people's faith. See, James makes two big promises to us. The first one is this, the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. And the second promise is if we commit sin, we will be forgiven. Check out the first one in verse 15 there in your Bible. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. I mean, that's a big promise. And it reminds me a lot of some dodgy preacher at 3 a.m. on Channel 10. (laughs) I remember a few years back hearing this story. There was a prosperity preacher. Uh, His wife sadly got sick. She got cancer. And, uh, And he encouraged her. You need to pray. Pray and you will be healed. Of course she prayed. And sadly, at some point later, she died. And that's sad enough. But the much sadder thing is that the preacher rebuked his wife publicly for not having enough faith because he believed surely if she had faith, she would have been healed. How horrible is that? But you know what? If we're to believe that this verse is some sort of magical formula, that like if, if, you know, if X, I have trust in God and I pray God heal myself or my wife, then Y should be the outcome. Healing. Healing should happen, right? That's how it works. You just take God at his word. There's, and there's something good about that, like we, we're trusting in God. But the bad, and it's really bad, is that's not what this verse is saying. Right? It doesn't mean prosperity healing. It doesn't mean that Jesus is some genie. It doesn't mean all cancers or all illnesses will be healed. And it doesn't mean that God only heals Christians either. What it means is that the prayer of the faithful will heal if, if it's God's plan. And that's the key here. So you see, our plan for life And God's plan for life, sometimes they're like this, sometimes they're like that. Sometimes it's God's plan for us to be healed of sickness, and sometimes it's not. And it's rarely clear, rarely clear as to why that is, especially in the middle of suffering. I I had the privilege of uh, sharing the gospel with a young guy, maybe six years ago in the country. And I remember him basically conveying that he'd become a Christian on Facebook. And two weeks later, on the way to church in the morning, he wrapped his car around a tree, and that was him, Don. And I attended the funeral, and it was massively packed. He went to a a local high school, and all his mates, very popular guy, all his friends who weren't Christians came along. And over the space of about one or two years, I met two different people he was friends with who became Christians because of that funeral. Right? God works through sickness and death in ways we can't even imagine. But the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the Christian faith in the early church, 
he prayed, God, would you take this thorn out of my flesh? Right? He was, we think he was talking about an, a degenerative eye problem. And, and, and God's answer was, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed to the Father, Lord, please let this cup pass from me, the cup of wrath, dying on that thing. Let it pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And God's answer was no. You have to take the cup. You have to die on that cross for the sins of the world. So the vital lesson that we we really need to understand is that God wants us to pray with complete trust that he can heal us. But that sometimes it's his plan in this life for us to go through the suffering with him rather than around it. And the second promise here is just as confusing as the first one at first glance. It says this in verse 15, the second part, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. You see, in the ancient world, sickness uh, was thought of as coming from sin. If you sinned and you got sick, your first thought was, all right, punishment. God's probably punishing me for what I did. And if you got healed, it was because your sins were forgiven first. Let's be clear, uh, God does the forgiving and God does the healing. But it does raise the question, maybe for some of us tonight, uh, if I'm sick, if I'm unwell with something, is it because I've sinned? And the, the, the honest answer is, we don't know. We don't know. But it, it's possible, but it, maybe it's more likely that we're not being punished but actually we're just experiencing life, experiencing life in these broken bodies, in a broken world that is waiting for the great repairer to come and make all things new. We need God when we're physically sick, but we actually need God when we're spiritually sick. Check out verse 16 with me again. Therefore, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We need the God who works through his people, like the God who answers prayers in line with his plans. The prayers of the faithful are are effective, they can heal and sins will be forgiven. And therefore, therefore, we should confess our sins to each other. That is, if we've wronged each other, we should own up for it and confess now, two friends of mine got married a number of years ago. Uh, the guy is quiet, he's really logical, and he's very non-confrontational. His wife is the opposite. She is loud, she is emotional, and she is very confrontational. Now, sometimes he upsets her. Who would have thought? And when she fires up, he shuts down. And the friction between them and the tension grows and grows and grows. Now, what's the problem in that situation? Like, it's the bitterness. It's the bitterness that weighs the heart. It's the avoidance of reconciliation, right? It leads to them walking on eggshells. And what would solve that? Confessing sins to each other, saying sorry, right? Confessing that heals spiritual hurts. 
But you know, sometimes spiritual hurts can actually manifest physically, right? We, get, we can develop anxiety and, and, um, and stress. So the fruit of confession can actually sometimes mean regaining peace and regaining sleep as well. Now, that's what my friends do. But here's the interesting thing. Look at the end of verse 16 again. It says this. It says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If someone is righteous, then their prayers are powerful. So the question is, who are the righteous? And the simple answer is, everyone who has faith in Jesus. Christians. And that's because... People who do have faith in Jesus, they've received Jesus' track record for good, right? His good works. It's like they've been given a white robe that masks up, that covers their dirty robe, right? So when God looks upon his people, he doesn't see the stains of sin, the million different ways that they've uh, rejected him and worshipped something else. No, they see a perfect, beautiful, radiant white robe, And even as Christians wrestle with sin, God still just sees Jesus. That's how someone can be righteous. And that's how someone's prayers can be powerful and effective. We need God. And in every situation, we express it in prayer. And you know the great thing is? You guys do this. Like before this service and well, at least most weeks, there is a prayer gathering and people pray. Right? They, they show their, their humble dependence on God. Uh, in my growth group uh, last week, uh, we went into overtime and, and I said to the group, hey, why don't we just do 10 minutes of prayer so that you can go home at the normal time? And they're like, no, 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 let's keep praying. I'm like, all right, awesome. That evidences the fact that you guys have a heart to pray, a heart towards God, and it's awesome. And it's encouraging, but it's also encouraging because God works through people like you and me. Have a look at verse 17 again. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it should not rain, and it did not rain on that land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the earth, sorry, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Those first nine words, that should be music to the ears. Elijah was a human just like us. Like here's James's point. Even regular people like us, broken, inconsistent people, can pray like him and see big things happen. We can pray big, bold, and grand prayers and have them answered in the affirmative. You see, God doesn't just choose to answer uh, the, the prayers of the Mother Teresas and the John Pipers of this world. He actually is willing to answer your prayers and my prayers. And surely that's got to be encouraging when we're sick. Like surely that's got to be an encouragement to those who are sick, who know that Christians are praying for them. And look at the prayer, look at the size, the magnitude of the prayer that God answered in this text Read again. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't for three and a half years. He prayed again, and the rain came, and the crops grew. 
God heard the prayers of a righteous man and the answer was yes. And here's the take home. God's in control. God wants us to pray. And God will answer in accordance with his will, his plan. Friends, we need God. And that is the first point tonight of the text. But we need something else. And that is we need this. We need the people of God. We need the church. And we need the church to do something. Look at what they're meant to do in verse 19 with me. It says this, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James is addressing the family. Family members wander from the truth and family need to have each other's backs. I used to be a teacher. My students were good at wandering, I can tell you, wandering away all the time. I was like the shepherd, always bringing them back. I needed to be super diligent at camps, at excursions, swimming pools. I was always checking, where's Harry? Where's Sam? Where's Anna? Counting the excursion line. How many kids are there? Why are there two, two lessons meant to be? And the parents here know that feeling. Right, they're always wondering where their child is. Are they safe? Having one eye on the kids. And James is saying that we need to be like that with each other. When we see a friend who stops coming to church, stops reading their Bible, who stops loving, talking about, caring about Jesus, it's our job to encourage him back. And it's not because we're a cult, like they don't have to come to this church but we try our best to show them that Jesus is more precious and far superior to whatever it is that's captured this thing and led them to, to drift. And the encouraging thing for me is that you guys do this as well. Like you guys have each other's backs. It's hard to be in this church and not be noticed if you disappear for a few weeks. And that's awesome. We, the church need to bring each other back. But we also need to do something else. The church needs to save our souls, it says. Look at 20, last verse. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's the outcome of bringing people back. But it's good to remember, we, we can't convert people. We, we can't stop people from spiritual death. And we can't cover people's sins. That's Jesus' job. James knows that. He doesn't state it here so clearly. But what we do have to do is we have to care and we have to fight for each other as if we could do those things. That's what he's saying tonight. You know, as I've been meditating on, on why we need God uh, in this, this sermon, it's made me think of two people in my life that I've known. One that had God in the church and the other guy who didn't first guy is called Phil. Phil was a young dude. He was about 15. I knew him back in Gippsland. I was friends with his sisters. And Phil just grew up as a sick kid. It was really sad. Like he had cancer at a really early age and he, he lost one of his limbs. I think it was his leg or something. Um, and he came good in, in his early high school years. And then, it, and then cancer returned at like 15 or 16. And, uh, you know, he, was, he grew up as a Christian. And you could imagine him asking, like, God, why? Why me? Like, I, what have I done? I, I love you. I'm not perfect, but what, why me? 
But what blew my mind was that he really believed that all he needed, all that really mattered was God and the church. That's all he needed. He was content. He trusted God with whatever the outcome was. I never heard him complain or show bitterness. And I'm convinced it's because, guys, in his heart of hearts, he really believed this stuff that you in front of you tonight. It was real to him. And he's with the Lord now. He died. But I can't wait to see him one day. But what would all that look like for a person who doesn't have God and doesn't have the church? I know another guy called Barry. And sadly, life didn't work out the way Barry had hoped. He, I think he was about 60. Uh, he, uh, he married earlier on. Marriage didn't work out. One adult child. Got to about 60 and he got cancer. And um, he was a nice guy. And sadly, he passed away. But the sadder part is that as far as I know, he passed away without God and without the church. Now, maybe, maybe he did come to faith in his final hours. That's not for me to know, and I don't want to judge him. But if he didn't, then verse 20 wasn't his outcome. There was no one to encourage him to come back to church and come back to God. Two stories, two men died of the same disease. One had all he needed in this life, God and the church, the other that had neither. Now, of course, we don't always face things that are this heavy, um, and, and I'm glad that's the case. But we, we do all go through struggles and illnesses in this life, and when we do, it's good to reflect. Do we want to do that with God and the church? Or do we want to go it alone like a cowboy? Do we want to do it humbly and prayerfully to the God who cares? Or do we want to assume that we can cope without him? But I think this is something most of us know and, and want to do. We just need to do it. We just need to be hearers and doers of the word, as James has said throughout the whole Bible, uh, whole, the whole letter. But that's, that can be really hard to hear. Maybe that's hard for you to hear tonight. You know, it's so hard to live consistently in light of this. That we, to believe that we need God in the church. But it's good to remember tonight, friends, that there is someone who went before us who did this. He knew he needed God and he lived a perfect life of prayerful humility before his Father. He knew he needed the people of God, the church, and he never departed it. He never wandered from the truth. And his name is Jesus, the one who lived this way so that when we didn't, we could be forgiven. And so as we go out this week, be motivated to live for the one who went before us and live as those who believe that we need God and we need each other. Let's pray.